there's an entire world of investing that you've probably never even considered. I mean, we talk about stocks all the time on this channel, sometimes options, almost never bonds, but we've never talked about a non-traditional investment that I made about a year and a half ago that is up 44% right now. It sounds crazy, but I bought an original copy of the Declaration of Independence that was printed in 1776. I know, that's kind of a strange flex, and it was like $2 million, so I actually pulled my money with some other people so we could buy it together. And here's the thing, anyone can do the same, because there's been a major shift in the way investors can get involved with collectibles. You no longer have to be an expert book collector to profit from a signed first edition of The Great Gatsby, or a car expert to trade and flip a rare car, or a wine guru to collect and trade some rare wines. I mean, art, watches, dinosaur fossils. If people collect it, you can now buy shares of it. And today on Dumb Money, we're gonna to talk to an expert in the field of rare collectibles. He's a co-founder and chief product officer of a company called Rally that turns these kind of one-of-a-kind items into investable assets. And we're going to explore the world of investments you never knew existed. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, Dave here along with Chris and Jordan. We are Dumb Money. Welcome to Dumb Money Live. Chris, Jordan, I don't really consider myself a collectibles guy. I have a pretty big collection of vintage microphones. Chris talked me into buying a CryptoPunk once, but I bought that Declaration of Independence on a whim because it sounded cool. Chris, I know you're more of a collector, probably best known for your Pokemon card purchases, but you're involved in Collecticon and have a wall of vintage shoes behind you, but you don't really talk about your collectibles much. How'd you get into it? I just, honestly, I just like the vibe of collecting sector, man. The people that are involved with it, we do Collecticon seven times a year. We have upwards of 15,000 people a show. They come in costumes. These people just like having fun, man. And it's just as for me, I love equities, obviously. I'm a trader, but it's nice to escape this world every once in a while to touch things that are more tangible and interesting where there's so much passion. And I have this crazy, I have this crazy thesis on the long-term viability of the collectible market. And I could be completely whacked out of my mind for thinking this, but I think of where we're going in the next 20 to 40 years with artificial intelligence and all of our jobs getting displaced and universal income and all humans having more time on their hands and actually us having actually more more ability to do things that are discretionary in nature and i feel like the pandemic was a microcosm when we're all at home with a lot of extra money right and a lot of extra time i feel like once we get over this big hump this recession that we're in and ai kicks in and automation if we can push forward 10 15 20 years I actually think the collectibles market is going to grow exponentially. And Rally is such a fascinating company because so many of these collectibles, the really high end ones, the ones that usually see the most appreciation, it's impossible to buy because they cost thousands to hundreds of thousands, sometimes yep. millions of dollars. But Rally frac does this fractional model to where for $10, you can buy 
a two million dollar comic, right? Like one of the most famous comics in the world, like the Batman, right? That 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 Rally bought. So I love this business model. I actually invested in Rally. I'm an early investor in the company Rally. Full disclosure, and. I've been wanting to get Rally on this show for a long time because yeah. this is an industry sector that no matter how little money you have, any person in the world can play in this market. We're not financial advisors. We're not advising you buy collectibles or sign up for Rally today, but I really love this, man. I just think it's fun. And I actually think, listen, like the rest of the market, collectibles have come down a lot the last 12 months and this is an interesting time when you could buy into some of these huge collectible markets for 50 cents on the dollar 60 70 cents on the dollar to where they were a year ago what about you jordan did you invest in rally i didn't we had the opportunity i know chris did but did, did you we have the opportunity rally? i don't remember i don't know if i did or not i don't think by I the did. way this is a this is a stock certificate in a lamborghini that i bought a fraction of when Rally first, literally when they first launched the company, this is, I think this is like one of the first cars that they bought and auctioned off. And dude, you I went and saw that car in me, person. You went to New York. We did that on our old Dumb Money channel as part of an episode. So we know that Chris is into collectible. But, but I, you I, I, Jordan, just, do you collect before, anything? Before we bring Rob on, Dave, I was going to say, you can trade these. You don't just buy them and then wait until Rally sells it a year, two, three years on yeah. the road. They actually open windows and you could trade your yeah, you can share. Trade it. It's a trading platform. Yeah, to yeah, absolutely. I, that's what I went on and looked to see what my declaration of independence was worth. And it's up 44% from where I bought it. <laughs> and you it's can amazing. sell it this month if you I want. Don't be able There's to a sell it. button right there. And it's like a bid and ask system, just like the stock market. They literally have turned collectibles into stocks and i think it's the coolest it's, thing ever it, it really so, is let, let's welcome our guest this morning this is rob petrasso he's the co-founder of rally and that it's an online platform people can invest in and trade shares of rare and unique collectibles watches luxury items cars so rob welcome to dumb money tell us just a little about your background and why you thought this whole rally would be a, a good thing to start yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I don't have to say anything. You own the Declaration of Independence and Chris gave the entire, the, literally our entire elevator pitch start to finish better than I can. So I'm done. Oh, thanks right for joining now. us. We'll go, and that's going to be it for dumb money. <laughs> but no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's not, when we started thinking about myself and Chris and Max, my co-founder started thinking about what the future was going to look like. I don't think it was that different than the three of you. It was this concept where we have a little bit of money we could put together and do something cool. But it was also don't get in front of a moving train. We started this business in 2014. We put it on paper. 2016, we incorporated. But it was pretty clear at that point, everything was changing. Like self-directed and like commission-free stock trading apps were, were starting to become a real thing. Coinbase was just starting to get moving in a way that if somebody asked you, how do I buy Bitcoin? You just say Coinbase and figure it out. If your mom texts you and starts asking you about certain investments, you know where to send them. So once that culture changed and you had young people with a little bit of discretionary money, saying, I want more access to these type of things that only accredited investors have had access to in the past. Once that happened, we started looking at all of our individual things that we love, that we collect, that we talk about nonstop. And to be completely frank, we're all, myself, my co-founders, everybody here at Rally, we're all collectors of things, but we didn't have access to the best stuff. And you, you make mistakes buying stuff that you love early on that you think is going to be an investment. And I've been doing that. I'm the dumbest dumb money. I've been doing that since I'm 10 years old, basically, like buying comic books that are now garbage and baseball cards during this era where baseball cards are now worth nothing from like the 80s and 90s. And in my mind, I would find like a Michael Jordan card or a Shaquille O'Neal card. And I thought that was going to like pay for college. You know what I mean? I thought I was going to buy a house with that one day. 
you realize quick that's not the case. But as the information asymmetry switched up, as you started paying more attention, you started Googling things, ended up on Wikipedia, going down crazy rabbit holes and having conversations with people who collect the best stuff, you realize this whole world of collecting and I want to say commoditizing collectibles, but not in a in like a weird combative way, in a way that the people that care about it and have the money have the best stuff. That economy has existed for hundreds of years. It's never I, existed at retail. It's never existed in a way where a regular person get access to that museum quality stuff, to the Declaration of Independence or a Honus Wagner rookie card. That for us was an opening that nobody had really gotten into. We cared about a lot. The people around us cared about a lot. So if we could have packaged it up and put it into an app, we're like, let's just do it. Now all of a sudden it's seven years later, it's a business, you know? That's can, so can, cool. Can I, I, I noticed on, in behind you, is that a Super Bowl trophy on your shelf? Yeah, you really are a collectible. That's crazy. A bunch of like weird random stuff. This is from, we have a couple of friends on the Rams. This is from a year ago. This is from Mike Hoyt, who was an offensive lineman. Now he plays uh, now he's on the line on defense. He had a monster season too. He's been a, bit, a big friend of the platform. And he showed up one day and was like, yo, we get two. Do you want one? I'm not supposed to say this, I don't think. But anyway, he said, do you want one? So we, we wound up backdooring our way into the, uh, into the distribution of Lombardi trophies for players. That is insane. Yeah, we, we're here in Dallas, and actually I bought a last year. I tried to ARB or when the Rams were in the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford went to our high school here in Dallas, and I bought one of his autographed rookie cards for a couple grand, two, three thousand. And it didn't play out too well. But I, listen, I think there's something that people have to understand about collectibles. When you're in the collectible game long enough, you quickly learn that sometimes the very best strategy is to buy the best to buy the best of something, right? Because often that thing at the very top of the food chain for whatever it happens to be, that whether it's cars, whiskey, watches, it doesn't matter. Buy the PSA 10, but buy, buy the black label, perfectly graded card, like the best of the best, because that seem more often than not, it seems like those items have the most appreciation over time. But those are the items that are most difficult for regular collectors to own a piece of. And that's what I love about Rally. With Rally, you guys go out and you buy the best of the best, right? And then you allow regular people with $10 to own a piece of that, which is, it's quite honestly mind-blowing to me like that this exists right now. And obviously I think, know you guys are growing a lot and the bigger you get the cooler stuff you're able to buy what are some of those like what are those most interesting most valuable things that you've put on the rally platform yeah well to chris's point like it's gotten i don't want to say easier because it's never easy but as we've grown as a business over the last five or six years the the need for us to figure out and go through all the conversations and auction houses and try and cold call people and try and get advisors and people who know the space to come in that's dropped. So our ability to find great stuff has only gone up. It's also been a situation where thankfully we used to, we have, we had a credit line and we have cash. We could always buy along the way if we could see like an opportunistic point to purchase an asset outright. But we also have some advantages to other auction houses where if somebody comes in, wants to get their money a little bit quicker, doesn't want to pay a giant 25% VIG that you have to pay to the auction house, doesn't want to wait six to seven months or sign some sort of non-compete where they can't bring it elsewhere. They'll consign to us or they'll keep some of the equity and play the upside with the investors. So there's a lot more flexibility sometimes with somebody with something great to come to us. They also know that a community that really cares about it is often the people that are buying it. And they're the regular people who are talking about this stuff all day, every single day. They're not people who buy $10 million paintings, tuck it in a free port, and no one ever sees it. 
they pass away 30 years later and their kids just sell it without ever seeing it. It's not that stuff. It's like having a connection to something really unique and really amazing. The biggest and the most expensive stuff that's wound up on Rally, a lot of times it's come through those like private relationships, things that we've built along the way and the relationships that we have. The Declaration of Independence was one of those. So that was something that was sold privately. It's been in two families. It started with the person who printed it in 1776 and ended with an engraver who was really well known all throughout the East Coast and has in like history books and has stuff, a bunch of crazy stuff written about him. So those Declaration of Independence, for example, which was a $2 million IPO that we did a little over a year ago, we knew we always isolate things that we know we want in a category. When it comes to history, that's a big category in rally. We always wanted to go for the best of the best, and we targeted a few things. One was a photograph of Abraham Lincoln, which is around 80 that exists. The one that we got, though, is signed by Abraham Lincoln. And he, go, he went on record saying it was the image that looked most like him. So it was the one that he liked the most. So that's like a check mark for us automatically. That was an $80,000 IPO. Declaration of Independence, the same way. We wanted one. There's probably 20 or so from this era, from 1776, that wound up in individual towns or like literally were red down square. This is one that came from Exeter. It was one that, again, was in a very specific family, has very specific provenance. There was a crazy back and forth to get that. We had one of our sort of advisors, someone who's worked with us from day one on rare literature and historical documents, flying all over the world to get their hands on it, make sure the deal can get done. By the time we got that, Constitution Dow was in a spot where it was moving crazy. Crypto was in this spot where people were starting to move to tangible assets. Ken Griffin wound up buying that constitution and it set people in the discord to say, there's this other one on rally. We weren't getting a little bit of TV coverage from it. It was this sort of perfect storm where we had the best example it was super valuable. A lot of people didn't even know that those copies existed. They thought there was only that one that lived in the rotunda in DC. And it became this funnel where everybody was buying 10 and $20 and $30 and $100 worth of the Declaration of Independence. And then it became this sort of benchmark for the platform too. It got a buyout offer that was like a hostile takeover that got turned down by investors. It kept trading. It's been super active and liquid since then. And now it's, again, one of the, one of the keystones of our entire collection of history. So anytime that we could find that, a huge group of people or even a small group that's super into something and makes it a huge part of their life, whether it's vintage history or baseball cards or NFTs or anything. And we find the best in class museum quality asset. Bringing those two things together doesn't require a ton of like Instagram ads or a ton of promotion. It becomes word of mouth really quickly. That's always been what worked for us, especially for like the top of the top, the museum quality stuff. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can you explain where it lives and how it actually works? Like, where is this Declaration of Independence? Can people that are invested in it see it? And also, what is the business model of Rally? Like, do you guys make a commit? I know some of these answers, but do you make a commission? How do you make money? Because this is a lot of work. I assume you're storing this stuff. Is there any? Yeah, I'll start at the end. We're able because, again, we do this at scale now. And we have great relationships that we've developed five or six years. In the beginning, there were crazy one-time costs between legal, insurance, management, storage, all of that. We've gotten that to a point now where it's very close. It's the cheapest anyone's going to pay anywhere in the world, probably for stuff like this to be managed, insured, and along the way. We have a couple of facilities on the East Coast that we keep a lot of the assets in, but we're also able to bring them all over the place. We need to do pop-ups. We have 
our museum space here in New York, the first of which was on Lafayette Street. We're opening our second space, which is our new kind of landmark HQ type space on Broadway, right off Howard Street. It'll be open next month, like 4,000, 5,000 square foot museum that's meant for like adults, for kids, for everything in between, where we'll rotate in and out the most unique and the newest stuff on the platform will wind up being there. But we also do it in a way where, you know, we want to make sure that if you have something great, it's being cared for appropriately too. So to keep it real, like the Declaration of Independence, it probably shouldn't be like hanging in my apartment because, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mess that up. If I had that in my apartment sitting there on a wall somewhere, someone's going to ask a question. I'm going to take it out and show it to somebody. Like I wouldn't be good at that. So keeping that where it's like in our facility, 24 hour concierge, when we need to move it around, we have really quick transportation. That's that it's vaulted when it needs to be. It's out when it needs to be. It's got all the appropriate sort of checks and balances. When we do any of these IPOs, there's a sourcing fee on top of it, oftentimes paid by the seller. So it's anywhere between 5% and 10%. And we do it in a way that we're always tracking fair market value. We're able to add that sourcing fee in during the IPO process while still giving the best deal to the seller and giving the best deal to the buyer because it's not going to auction where sometimes there's 20 and 30% fees tacked on. Then long-term for us, the way we've always envisioned this is that there's these experiences there's a premium fee, premium features and premium tier inside the app that we're going to open up. There's stuff that we want to earn money for our users before asking for is kind of the way I've always talked about it with our product team. So there's things now that we're releasing like instant access to money for trading. So if you want to come in and not wait for an ACH deposit to hit, we'll do like a small percentage of that deposit and that'll be part of the revenue strategy for the secondary market. We're doing a bunch of things where if you want early access to deals or syndicate access to deals, that's going to be something that we'll have specific things where if you want to get in early, you have the option a la carte or through subscription to pay for it. That's all the stuff that we've built up with our community over time. So we've always, if you look on Twitter or you look on like Instagram or millions of people, like thousands of users have my cell phone number, they'll text me when there's a problem or when they want to see something. We've been really good, I think, from a customer service perspective of listening to our most active users and they're accounting for like 75% of our roadmap right now. So when they say they want something, they also know they want us to be around as a business and in the environment that you're in right now, revenue is key. So when they're like, why don't you give us money quicker? We'll pay for it. It's like, all right, let's experiment with that. Let's talk to our users. Let's go through the dev process and see if it makes sense. And then we can roll that out and nobody's looking at it like we're trying to make rips off them. We're just, we're doing what they ask and going in the direction and the path of least resistance to make everybody happy. That's always been the way we've thought about our revenue structure and the way we've thought about fees and the way we've thought about commissions going forward. But it also is a world where that's a race to the bottom. Everybody's going to have $0 commissions. There's no way to say right now, everybody give us money. Like we would never do that because that's just something that's going to make users say, I'll find another alternative. And we're not trying to be in that <laughs> boat either. We're trying to make sure there's always a free tier. Do you guys have relationships with traditional auction houses? I would think they would be interested in the types of data that you have in the price discovery that happens on certain items. Yeah. And that's part of the play too, long-term. I think we yeah. wanted to make sure that we had a robust enough platform that data outliers, that it was all meaningful. And I think that our relationships with the auction houses, especially so many of them have presence on the East Coast or in New York. And we're always in the conversation, whether it's like listing something on their platform or doing a deal in the background where if there's a private seller or a private buyer. It's not something that meets the criteria for an upcoming auction. We'll work with them and maybe put the asset on rally or vice versa. But the auction structure is one that to me always ha has to exist. And I'm, I buy stuff at auction every single week at every auction house, basically. And a lot of times the stuff that they're getting because they're dealing in volume, there's going to be one or two of those really crazy pieces. And those are the ones that create these headlines of Honus Wagner card sells for $4 million. That for us, when an auction house does it, when a golden auctions or one of the big auction houses does something like that, it's a huge win for us too, because we have one too. And we have one that might be undervalued relative to what you've seen in the headline, or it might not even be a card 
or an asset or an item you knew existed. So when those auction houses have these huge sort of monumental signature auctions and they're printing new world records, for us, that's really a good relationship for us to always be in where we're in the conversation. We've always tried our best to make sure that we maintain those relationships and that the people that are paying attention to us are the ones that we're paying attention to too. We've been lucky in that all the major auction houses are we have some relationship or a partnership or something that we're working on to make sure that like their buyers know what's going on rally and that everyone on rally knows what's going on at those auction houses too. We had a user question I think is interesting. Someone said, how does this compete with the Logan Paul back liquid, which I know is similar, right? Yeah. So Lo- Logan and I talk, and we've talked a lot over the course of the last three, four years about as we started building this business and he was super into Pokemon and we had a bunch of good Pokemon stuff. We had a bunch of mutual friends. So before he launched, before they launched Liquid Marketplace, him and I had spoken a bit about what the future of this space was going to look like, what fractional was going to look like. And I think that there were two pathways. One was going to be crypto and crypto native. And it was going to be something where microtransactions and penny and very low share price for users who were very crypto native and had potentially made some money on crypto during that crazy bull run, we able to turn it into tangible assets. And that's the route that Liquid Marketplace went. And that's one that for us, all these assets on Rally are securities. They're all qualified by the SEC. We're not trying to create a world where we're walking a line. Like these are definitely traded similar to the way that stocks would be traded and they're treated as such. So everything we do has to go through that SEC qualification process. It's all public on Edgar and SEC.gov. If you search for Rally or for RSC or any of our individual assets, you'll find like the 80 pages that explain every risk factor, the asset description, all the comparable data that goes with it. We put all that in the app as well. So for us, there's when we came out, it was pretty clear that like, this idea could work. And once it started to work, you assume that there's going to be competitors that pop up. But in reality, it's hard for us to look at anybody else and say, I don't like what they're doing. Everybody does it a little bit different, but it's also... Not to sound corny or say the thing that everybody had the political answer, but the rising tide does help all boats. And we're one of those boats right now, I think. And I know that we're at the head of that when it comes to activity and user growth and AUM and some of the pieces that you look at tangibly and say, oh, that's the bigger one in the space. But also, we, I know that we share a lot of users with a lot of these platforms too. We're trying to give them the opportunity to do something where the checks and balances are in place in a way that it goes through a simple process that you're used to with equities. And when it comes to museum quality stuff, we're looking at the Declaration of Independence and we're looking at the million and $2 million and $3 million items now a little bit more than we were early on with the twenty and thirty and $40,000 items too. Long story short, like I only get tight with, and a little bit mad when people start using like the same origin story as us and no one's really done that anymore. No one's made believe that like they use, everyone uses that same line. We're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to tighten the wealth gap and we, and we're collectors too. And all these things are like, that's our story. I don't want anyone using that story anymore. Like when I hear that, I'm like, get out of here. But Logan and Liquid Marketplace haven't really done that. So I can't really I can't really knock what they're doing. We are an investing channel. And so I know what's on everyone's mind. It's on my mind every day. I'm looking at collectibles the same way I look at anything else. Where's the opportunity now? So I've been thinking about the collectible space for so long. And I always found, find, I was a kid that invested in baseball cards that are completely worthless now. Like completely the worst. The worst of all worst. And it really turned me off to collectibles, quite honestly, for a very long time. I'm also a kid that used to arb garage sale merchandise back in the day, right? I'll flip anything. But when I think about collectibles, I think there's one big issue. It's both an opportunity and a detriment in that a a lot of the sectors, like sports cards and cars, for example, it's a... It's 
it's really obvious when they peak at a point when people that have an interest in that type of player or that particular car, because they that was the car when they were 16 or 18 years old, when that person gets to an age to where they're at peak wealth and they actually have the time to start investing and stuff like that, it seems like that's when those things peak and they inevitably always fall after that because at some point nobody saw that basketball player or that baseball player. Now there's obviously icons, Babe Ruth and certain players that everybody just knows throughout history. But for the most part, they ebb and flow with the demographics and the age as people age. And I, to me, that's bothersome. However, there are other sectors like history, like quite honestly, media cards, like Pokemon is something that theoretically can live on forever and every generation could theoretically fall in love with Pokemon over and over again. Those things are more interesting to me. And so that's how I think about it. Things like with that I know have been getting hot the last few years, like that's something that you're not going to like, that's not going to fall out of favor in a hundred years. People, maybe it will, people might stop drinking in general and becomes like this <laughs> weird thing that nobody can relate to alcohol in a hundred years. So that that's an issue too. But then the collectibles versions of it, the, the old bottles that were worth $200 now are going to be worth way more because they don't make them anymore. Yeah. But if you had to pick a sector that you were really excited about going forward, whether regardless of watches, I don't know, yeah. give us a few sectors that you personally, cause you have your finger on the pulse of this market. Like you're in this world every day. Yeah. What is your what, what gut sectors? Really cool what sectors yeah. are hot right now and getting hotter? And is there like a holy grail item that you would love to see on the platform? Yeah. And I'll start this by saying not investment advice is not investment advice is not investment <laughs> advice. Just so that lawyers don't text me right after this call. But I'll say this, Chris, everything you said is true, right? This is the difference to me is that everything is always too risky to the previous generation. And everybody's always been told when it comes to alternative assets and collectibles, like very small percentage of your portfolio. And just think about it as like funny money almost more than anything else. That's just how it is. Like in the 30s and the 40s, like stocks were too risky for pension plans. Everything was all bonds. And it's just like the 60s come and now like they're integrating stocks, but then like REITs come out of nowhere and now REITs are too crazy. And so what are we doing with those? And now it makes up 3% of the S&P, whatever the weighting is, I have no idea. Then it was crypto and everybody's talking crazy. Every bank CEO, crypto's a scam. They're still saying it, but they all have trading desks like for Bitcoin, either, whatever else. This stuff is at a point now that the one big difference between like those trash baseball cards of the 80s and 90s that I also like if I had six dollars to my name, like five dollars and 50 cents went to cardboard that is worth zero now, like a 100 percent. It's great to have. I go back to my mom's house at Christmas in Brooklyn. I'm going through my old stuff. It's all meaningless, but the emotion is still there. I think that's the one piece that changed. Everybody's been told their whole life, do not use emotion for investing. That to me is entirely wrong. So when I think about the asset classes and the sectors in particular that I know are important or I think are hot, they're all based on relevance from when I was like younger, but also what I know is gonna be relevant in the future. So to say Pokemon, a top 10 franchise, just from an entertainment and like a licensing perspective is not going to be important 30 years from now would be crazy. The same way it's hard for me to say like Mario Brothers and Nintendo. And that's like a space that during COVID, I was really active and was buying sealed video games. I really, and we've sold Mario Brothers, the highest graded version of all time is a $2 million sale, the most expensive video game ever sold. That record will probably hold for a significant period because it was at peak too. But I started buying crazy amounts of video games because I'm looking at it like, 
the scarcity value is there. They made 40 million Mario Brothers. There's probably 300 that are still sealed. Having one of those to me was really important. And even in a down market, I look at it like in the future, <sighs> Nintendo and Mario is this omnipresent, super ubiquitous character that there's still money, steam, and brand behind, and that's going to exist in the future. So those are the ones that we look at in terms of categories that I look at personally that will stand the test of time and will have peaks and valleys along the way. But there are also things that are going to be important to the next generation, to your point. And that goes for like the things on rally. When I think about like the Declaration of Independence and like Abraham Lincoln, it's hard for me to say that's not going to be important in the future. When I look at something like dinosaur fossils, which they've been hot for 60 million years, like they've been a thing, you know what I mean? Like it's not going away. <laughs> And it's also one of those things where you start to see bits and pieces of it in the news where celebrities are starting to put them in their living room. And that's that our triceratops, which is named Deaton, which is a really important triceratops because it's a 68% bone density. I can give you all the details on it that make no sense to anybody and don't matter. But it's also one that like, candidly, we had to fight a really well-known tech entrepreneur to get that one because he wanted it in his living room. So when people walk in, he goes, that's my dinosaur. Those are the spaces to me that were hot when I was in fifth grade. They're back around now. They're constantly in the conversation. There's an auction result or something once a year that turns into this pop culture conversation. They're in the zeitgeist now. They're going to be in the future. If there's a franchise, if there's an item, if there's a conversation that you've been hearing about for 30 and 40 years, and you think that's not going to be important for the rest of your life, that seems like it's a, short, it's a personal shortcoming where you're saying like, nah, I'm right, everyone else is wrong. That's the stuff that I try and stay away from personally that I think about when we buy things for Rally or when I buy things for myself too. Yeah, That was a very long-winded answer of a way to say that Chris is right right now. I don't know if he's going to be right in the future. I'm just, I just want to say that I would personally love to have a dinosaur in my house. That just sounds like the coolest thing ever. But I think that owning a part that's of a dinosaur you know you is also you know pretty darn cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> if, you have a, if you have a T-Rex skull in your house, like... You probably made it. You're probably doing all right. You know what I mean? That's a good sign. Yeah. I only know one person who has fossil in their home that, but that's, that is definitely a sign that you've made it. Now, how do you, you, some things are probably easier than others to authenticate, but one of the things that this channel is known for is the disastrous trade of buying a box of Pokemon cards for $400,000 that ended up being fake. How do you avoid that sort of problem? Yeah. We don't have enough of a, we don't have enough of a YouTube presence to make that back in ad revenue. So thank God we haven't had to come across. We haven't had to be in a situation that we blew the 400 yet. But that said, everything's insured and we always keep like the best of the best in terms of authentication and sort of the third parties that are the most well-known in a space, whether it's for like photo matching for a jersey or SA and SGC and the well-known names in the card grading space. Or when it comes to books, part of our audit process is having like one of our advisors come in who's from one of the big auction houses, who's one of the most, the most well-known authenticators of vintage literature. So we always have those checks and balances. Again, it's an SEC-approved qualified offering, so it's all public domain too when we go through a process. But that said, it's going to happen at certain times. We had a Babe Ruth signed ball that was part of an FBI investigation. That was a $60,000 IPO. I'm sorry, but maybe it was a $40,000 IPO. It traded up to 60,000. And then we got a letter from the FBI that said something to the effect of, this is part of a, this is potentially part of a crime ring, but it had been authenticated twice. So it had been authenticated by PSA and DNA. And the PSA team reached out along the way too. And as that process was going on. So it was one of those situations similar to like sour grapes type of thing where there was someone who was just an awesome forger who was doing this with paintings, with Babe Ruth balls, with a couple of things that snuck their way into the auction circuit at some point 15 years ago. By the time it got to us, it had all those checks and balances in place. 
But that's the difference between what we do and a, and like a trustless third party that's doing just crypto is that we are, we're on the hook for a lot of that stuff. So like it's insured up to a point that if there is an issue with the ball like that, we're able to make everybody whole again. And we have to take it out of operating. Like we stand behind everything that we put on the platform too. And we're investors, like a small percentage of each individual asset, and we can't sell to the whole asset sells. So that for us is leaning in on people who have that domain expertise the biggest names in the space for authentication, the biggest names for the qualification of each individual asset. And then if it gets messed up along the way, it's on us. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Rob, one of our one of our regular followers, Lisa Autry, had a really interesting point. She says, how about creating a YouTube channel maybe to get traction possibly when you're doing your IPOs, for example, right? Like that'd be really fun to have like when you do an IPO to have it be a little bit more interactive and you, you could be you could have an expert really explain the history behind an item while the IPO is happening, maybe through a YouTube live or something like that. Have you guys thought about that yeah 100 percent. we're doing it so we've we started paying a little more attention to youtube over the course of the last couple of months and we started loading our channel with a bunch of really good deep dives on content we've done a couple of ask the expert style live streams right before an asset went public but it was like dipping our feet in the water to see if that was an opportunity that we should be capitalizing on so now we're probably a month out from really putting steam putting a little bit of money and putting attention behind that to make sure that there is the element of like social selling. We're, we did a couple of interviews about it, so it's not completely behind closed doors at this point, but we're working on a TV show that kind of goes through the whole process of finding all the way to the point of the IPO where it could be real social commerce and live commerce during the process of airing of each individual episode. So that for us is this year is really about preaching the message of what we're doing in a way that opens it up to more than just a community that's been inside of Rally to put that steam behind it and bringing those to life in conversations and doing it through live streams, more real live events, which is why we have our museum space that we're opening up next month, which is why we got this big new office that we've outfitted in such a way that it can be a real sort of meeting spot for the collectible community here in New York. And we're going to expand that footprint all over the country. Part of it is that is for that reason and that reason only. It's like we want to make sure that if we have a great story to tell because all these individual items they're the museum stuff and they're the most expensive stuff, but each one has its own story too. And it's so interesting. And if we have to do a better job of getting that interesting content out on more than just like a Twitter channel, on more than just our Twitter stream and more than just these type of conversations, which is why we're going to be doing, we're basically gonna be doing exactly what the question was around starting probably in a month. We're going to get more, way more active on, uh, on YouTube and doing a live stream. I'm on Rally Road right now and I'm looking at a 1972 Nike prototype moon shoe with $180,000 initial market cap. Can you just, because someone was asking about sneakers, right? What do you think about that sector? Because I have 12-year-old twins, boy-girl twins, and both of them equally and all of their friends almost are like, into shoes sneakers in a way that never existed yeah. when i was their age it is so mainstream the concept of spending a lot of money on sneakers and sneaker culture it used to be like a niche and i feel like now it's becoming mainstream like what do you feel about that asset class going forward 
Yeah, that hits on this thing that for me, it was really important too. Like I got out of school in the early 2000s. I'm sorry, when did I get out of school? I got out of high school or 2000s. <laughs> Call it mid to late 2000s. We're coming home from college and I'm in New York and New York is this epicenter of like sneaker culture and music and all these things were converging at the same time. Like social media wasn't really a thing yet, but all I cared about was sneakers. But I didn't think about it. I, it wasn't commoditized back then the way it is now because flipping sneakers was an idea. But now I have a crazy amount of sneakers that I wore and a lot, I had really good relationships just from being in New York with owned all these sneaker stores. So I would go every Saturday and get like whatever the new sneaker was at retail. And now I look back and they're like crazy expensive, but I always threw the box out. I always wore them at least once and then held on to them. These kids now, they treat everything a little bit like a business, even if it's just buying sneakers to have them, like they know the details and like the pricing structures and like what's hot and what's not in a way that like I never ever did. So does, I've always looked at sneakers as like this thing that I love and I care about from a design perspective, from a utility perspective, but I didn't think about it enough as an investment as a kid. And in retrospect, I probably should have. I have, I'd have a little bit more money tucked away now if I did just from the access that I had to it. But this goes back to Josh Elman, who a product genius was at Robinhood and like really well known in the space. And he's, he goes on these epic sort of Twitter sort of like mini threads where he's opening up like his brain a little bit. And one thing he talked about recently was private social togetherness. And it's this phrase that I'd never heard before he said it. And it's these little worlds of the 14 to 21 year olds. I see it happening a lot where they get together and it's a small group that gets behind something and they have enough kind of social capital, enough influence to make it a big thing later, but it's just their thing to start. So I think we're starting to see with sneakers where it's the polarizing sneakers that come out. It's happening right now with this Tiffany collaboration that Nike's doing. There's gonna be like a small group that has access to those that either makes it a thing or kills it. And it's gonna be a very hit or miss scenario, I feel like with those. But that's what's happening, I feel like. When you have one friend who starts wearing like dirty Air Force Ones and that becomes like cool, now you have five or six kids start to do it and then 20 more. And now all of a sudden all over wearing dirty white Air Force Ones, like this is like nine, 10 months ago, was more of a status symbol than wearing Gucci or Balenciaga or anything like that. And that's happening way more often now with those groups of kids. And they're going to be the ones that dictate what's important in the future and what becomes investment worthy. So sneakers in my mind are definitely going to be there. That was a wild tangent I went on because it's, I'm very opinionated about sneakers and about what like a 14 year old is doing right now. Cause they're going to dictate what I have to be doing if I want to stay relevant. Chris, Dude, you're going dirty, to be amazing when you, you wear all of your uh, Air Force Ones, Chris. Just start wearing them in Soho now no, and you'll really fit in. Yeah, I do <laughs> wear them. The difference is my son got a pair of sneakers that were pretty cool and I split it with him. I think it was like 180 bucks, so he paid half. And he's, you know, I can't wait to go get these roughed up. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm taking them to the park to yeah. get them dirty. I'm like, what? What are you it's talking crazy. about? And like, I got... I, it was so over my head that I didn't even realize that was a thing. I thought he was just being weird. But yeah, he wanted to get the sneakers really dirty, not just like he really no, wanted. Gotta, it's got to be authentic up. dirty. Not yeah, it's got to be like an authentic. And that's what these kids care about. They think about things as what the value to me versus the value of the actual item. The value to them is going to be way more important if it's like personalized and it's part of their small group gets it. And I think that's going to dictate so many like investing trends now are going in that direction too. It happened. At GameStop was that. It was a small group that understood something and they saw around a turn that others didn't. And to me, watching that happen was just like absurd. But then I jumped on board. Like, I'm not going to not buy AMC at this point. You know what I mean? That's where I was because like an 18-year-old dictated that's the direction it was going. Uh, 
Jacob Crowley asks, he said, there's been a huge spike in people playing chess. You guys know, oh, he's talking about stocks, but I'm thinking like, th that's interesting to me because a lot of times we will see something start to trend, but there might not be a way to invest in a public company that would yeah. benefit. But in the case of chess, I didn't even think about this. We actually had an episode right when Queen's Gambit came out. We were like, dude, we were seeing searches for chess like we've never seen before. And I was like, but there's really not a good trade. Going back, now I'm thinking, man, was there a super cool chess collectible that probably would have been so off radar because no one was really paying money for like chess collectibles. But I'm thinking a company like Rally, it would be cool to have you guys do have a speculative division that's going out there that's really quick on stuff, making yeah. speculative bets like the best of something that might or might not be anything. I think yeah, that would we're be gonna, Yeah, cool. we're gonna be doing that. That to us is the direction we wanna go. And you wanna have, you wanna be able to have assets and have sort of buckets of assets that fit every risk profile. Like the chess example is perfect. Like that for me, as soon as that became a thing, like I bought a bunch of copies of the first edition of Queen's Gambit just because they were relatively cheap and they weren't gonna work for Rally because they were still like, under $1,000, and even the Walter Tavis signed versions were like relatively cheap. There were only so many that had great cover art. To me, it looked like it made sense. So I bought a few of those to have. I gave a couple well, away. What do you mean? What did you buy? Did you buy the vid? I don't understand what you mean when you say you bought Queen's the Gambit. Book. So the I bought book. the original book, the first edition of the book that it was based on. But that, because there was no, but to, for context, that's a great question because there was no equity equivalent that I that you could ride that trend. You could buy like, really like well-made chess sets and you could buy like some of the early sort of Casparitis style, like the tables that they played on and the timers and like this, this, all these sort of facts from like previous generations of chess players, but it was an obvious cultural moment. And I just, I was trying to be part of it. And the only access was like the first edition of the book that I felt was something that was investment worthy, but also a cool thing to have, but doing buckets of stuff like that, when there's something we can key in on, whether it's like a cultural tailwind or like a Netflix series or whatever it is and make that part of speculative asset bundle is something we're working on right now too, for sure. I love that, man. This is so exciting because it really expands the optionality for invest. Like we're observational investors and that's what the mm -hmm. dumb money community is about. It's about seeing things in the course of your everyday life, data mining on TikTok or Twitter or YouTube comments to mm -hmm. try to understand how culture is shifting and how consumer behavior is shifting in real time. And then we try to connect those dots back to investable opportunities in the stock market. But like I said, nine times out of 10, there is no opportunity to connect the dots back to an investable in the market. I love what you guys are doing and I love the collectibles market in general and alternative assets because it broadens the opportunity for observational investors like us to find ways to monetize a shift in culture or a shift in consumer behavior. I, this is why I love this space. And I love the fact that you guys are doing what you do. So anybody with even $10 can participate in best of whatever that niche is, that collectible niche is that, that is trending or hopefully yeah. in the process of trending in the future. Dude, you it's like dumb money is not just as a term is not a bad thing anymore. Like that to me was always looked at as a super like when I was younger, I got murdered in 2009. Like I just had a little bit of money. I blew all of it on just like bad growth stocks. And then I got super nervous and never put money back in. 
I tweeted about it during during COVID and got murdered in the comments. Like, you're an idiot. How do you lose all that money this quick? You must have inherited a bunch of money and blew it through. Like saying all these horrible things about me that weren't true. And I realized like I was the dumbest dumb money from 2009 to like 2013. But what changed is what you just said, the idea of like brands and emotion and this concept that like people make decisions for the present and they do things that make them happy, but it's not necessarily wrong anymore too. If you can see around that turn and you know where culture is headed and it's so much easier to find that information now, whether you're just walking around Soho and seeing all the dirty Air Force Ones or you're doing real research and in every discord and having conversations with the experts, they're all going to tell you the same thing. It's the buy what you love, but also if you see something coming, there's a way to make a bet right now, whether it's on a rally or in the equities market or somewhere without a ton of money that maybe you could take a flyer on it right now because you know something others don't and then build that portfolio over time. We're just trying to do that same thing because everybody knows these things exist. There's never been access to it, but there's more information now about what's going to be important 10, 20, and 30 years from now than there ever was. So it's stupid to not use that. Before, before On that note, before we wrap this up, I want to throw out an investment idea in the space and I want to throw it out for Rally. Maybe you guys will put it on the platform. I doubt you have it yet. So, I like that you're going on record right now. We're going we're gonna to owe you money now if this works out. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> One of the themes at Dumb Money that we were researching, especially through the pandemic and over the last few years, is a massive tailwind in anime. And it's a global tailwind. And we've always been looking for ways to invest in anime, which is really difficult. We did find a few companies, a few foreign companies with ADRs on the U.S. exchanges. But there's a... One Piece is one of the biggest kind of biggest brands, media brands in, in that anime space out of Japan. I think they have they, they have over a thousand episodes going back 17, 18 years. They recently released a tra table card game called One Piece, and they are in like the first edition of it. So it's like going back to 99 Pokemon first edition. Mm -hmm. And some of these foil cards are now selling for thousands of dollars already. Yeah. I find it fascinating because this is a monster niche. The gameplay is supposedly phenomenal. The artwork is phenomenal. It's something that I think really, I'm not saying it's going to be going to be the next Pokemon necessarily, but I think these are really interesting niches because man, anime is huge and getting bigger. Yeah. Um, and this is this is it. This is the game for this space. So I think that's an area where, you know, new investors that they don't have $20,000 to spend on like a first edition Pokemon card, but want to take a little more risk. They can look at niches like this, like One Piece. And I, I assume I would love to see Rally maybe doing some speculative stuff like this as well, because it would give you the larger gain. It would give your audience the ability to get the larger gains because some of the best one piece cards right now are like a few thousand dollars, like nah, a few one, thousand. One, yeah, yeah. That, and, and that's, that's, that, that's no still brand. too expensive for most investors to spend a two, few thousand dollars. Yeah. We could also, we can get batches of cards or figures or like original artwork from anime too. That hits in on the exact thesis that we had. It's that, and we talked about a little bit during this conversation, a thousand people who really care about something, know everything about it, want to, and live their life around it, have every conversation in their group chats around it. Finding the best thing for them and turning that into the syndicate is what we're thinking about for the future for some of those like the less valuable, but more speculative assets that are still at the start of that curve. So we started thinking about it with Pokemon is a perfect example because the Pokemon did its thing for like the 90s kids. The next generation got like a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! and some other franchises along the way. They're still undervalued because to your point, 
those kids haven't turned 30, 35, 40 years old yet, where the money that they need to turn it and put the fuel behind that asset class doesn't exist yet. But we'd be dumb at rally to look at it and say that's not going to be the case if history has proven that the one that came before it did just the same thing. I personally bought like a bunch of Fortnite and a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff during COVID because to me, it was just pretty clear that's a franchise that has all the similar dynamics that Pokemon did, but with way more exposure to a huge group of kids right now who are going to really care in 10 years. So that for us, like we have a couple ways we're going to do that. Just acquiring the assets and doing the five and $10,000 items is something we've done more of. And we'll probably batch that up into like our version of an ETF maybe. But there's other things that we're thinking about right now that allow you and 20 friends to form your own kind of syndicate on Rally. And then we'll go out and find the best version and put it into your portfolio with you and your friends. That's what we really, that's what gets me excited too, is allowing somebody who's got like 20 friends who care and everyone's got like a few hundred bucks to spend on the best thing. We can do all the dirty work for you and make sure that you get that in your portfolio now. And that's, that's a lot of what we're thinking about for the future. Dude, that's awesome. It's really cool. <laughs> Try them in. Well, thank so you. What guys. else do you have on the product roadmap there? That's a feature that I had not even thought of that I could totally see using. Our, v our VP of product, Andy's going to murder me for saying that just now. I don't think I've ever told him about that. But anyway, the, <laughs> it's a dumb money exclusive. <laughs> yeah, dumb money exclusive. The in person stuff for us is really important. I think that the museum space that we're building now, the way it's set up, and everyone will see it in March or early April, likely late March. When you walk in, it starts with dinosaurs and then goes into like the early classic cars, goes into baseball cards. And as you move into the back of the space, it's really like a timeline that opens up into a huge full screen experience with NFTs and what we believe the future is going to look like. So taking people on that journey and doing the way we can turn events into a part of this business that's really meaningful. We're on a street in Soho. I'm looking out, I'm looking out our window right now on Broadway. One across the street right here is the Slime Institute which like you go in with kids, you make slime and everybody spends like 500 bucks and leaves with a mess, a disaster. Like six doors up is a museum of ice cream. We're in the middle of the winter. Right now it's like degrees. There's still a line to get in to get ice cream and to have kids jump in like a German infested pool of sprinkles. Nothing wrong with it. I hope I did it when I was a kid too. Everyone does it. But that's like <laughs> another six, 700 bucks that they're going to spend that day just for you and your family. So to yeah, do we, something we've, where we've you come We've been there in, actually. It's, it's, yeah, a, it's an awesome place. By the way, you need to visit awesome. the... You need to visit Dumb Money's ice cream place over on 65 Bleaker, catching ice cream with Dylan LeMay. That's Come our ice cream shop. It's not far from you. So definitely go I'm down pulling there. Up. I didn't know that. How did I not know that? I'm definitely pulling up there. Are you kidding me? But these yeah. are these things that like, it's this mix of nostalgia, family, learning new stuff. It's, and it's just like the whole thing together. Why not do that here? But the difference is instead of leaving with a cup of ice cream and a t-shirt, you're leaving with equity in the most important thing that, that you didn't even know existed until you walked in the door. That for us is like a huge thing that we believe is missed right now. Everyone creates great experiences, great events, but when you leave, it's done. So for us, we want to be part of that full life cycle where you can have money in a bank, you can have money in, a, in treasury bills, you can do equities, whatever. But like you want to leave with something you care about and it's likely to stay in your portfolio over the course of the next 10 or 15 years come to one of these spaces and leave with it, leave with an actual piece. You can own it. It's the only museum that, where you can actually own what's on the walls. That is, and that's and such cool things. You have such cool things. It's like the coolest museum in the world. Like I remember on one of the early items you listed was something that I would just love to own. It was like an original Waz computer, an Apple one yeah, computer Apple that's one. out of wood. And it's, yeah. I'm sure that's in the museum, and then you can buy shares of that and walk out with a certificate. That, that's just such a cool experience for a history nerd like me. 
Nah, and it's all, it's also a way like to be real. It's a way to monetize too. Like we always think we built this platform. We have great investors and like they gave us, I knew that this was something that was like, uh, it wasn't going to be the overnight thing where all of a sudden it's not open AI. It's not going to take off and all of a sudden be like a $75 billion company. It took a while to get where we are. And they gave us the runway to do that, knowing that we were building a community that once we had them all on rally to find these five or six or seven different ways to monetize and turn this into a real revenue generating business. And then even turn those assets that are stagnant into cash producing assets was going to be possible. So now for us, like doing it ourselves first, and we're never going to franchise out the museum concept, but to say one of our cars won't be in like a casino lobby or one of these assets won't be on the walls of some institute somewhere where it can generate cash flow, almost like rental income for assets is something that we've always wanted to experiment with more too. And now with the space downstairs as the first kind of beta test case, we have the ability to do that as well so that you can have rally stuff and the stuff you own be like close to home for you and in a place where you are, where other people get to see it and you're an actual owner in it. That for us is a way to make people happy and make a little bit of money for the business eventually too. I love this, man. And I can't wait until we find the next big thing that we could only figure out how to monetize through some expensive collectible that will form our own dumb money group, go oh, to right. rally, and yeah. then the dumb money group will collectively get to own that piece, whatever, however much it costs. That's going to happen at some yeah, point. Let's do it. I would love nothing more than to open this app one day, scroll once to the left and see like the dumb money collection. I want that more than anything. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Jordan, you Thanks, have anything Rob. else? Are we good? No, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I think it's super cool. I think there's a whole lot more depth and nuance to what you're doing than it seems at the surface. I'm really excited for you. Thank well, you, When is the New York it. Museum open and what's like, the address? Likely end of March. We're going to do a really big publicity push once that happens. You guys be the first to know. But it's something that we've been working on for five, six months at this point. And it's like at a, it's close to it's. The bells and whistles have to get added, but it feels livable. So we're probably like a month out. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you're doing at Rally. I think it's, I think this is a, actually a super big deal for observational investors like us. And man, I can't even wait to see where Rally goes the next five years. I'll be there at the New York Museum the minute it opens. I can't wait. Nah, dude, I appreciate it. Likewise, thank you for the vote of confidence early. And what you guys do is very much in line with what our users and our investors are looking for. They want to be in the conversation. That's it. And you guys make that possible too. I'm looking forward to the next 30 and 60 and 90 million that you guys print. <laughs> and wait, anybody can sign up for Rally Road. It's free. Just go to rallyrd.com and it's free, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can download the app in the app store, search for Rally or Rally Road. We're only available to invest in the US, but that's going to change at some point in the near future. I actually, I want to end this show by saying that I didn't mention it today, but I actually do have another collectible investment that I am just super excited about. I haven't told you guys even, this is not, the one piece I think is actually super interesting, that TCG game, but there is one I'm super excited about. I'm working on it and I want to have a dedicated show on it because it's the type of thing where I think our community and do their own homework and get involved. And I think it could be one of the biggest things in collectibles the next few years. So that's a show that's gonna come at some point in the next couple months. So I just have more homework to do first. I wanna tease that. And that's it. Thank you guys so much for watching We're Done Money. We'll see you here next week. <laughs> <laughs>